Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to another episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. This is Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. We've got a good show for everybody today. The Vegas Golden Knights are on the brink of moving into the second round. Um, if they can get the job done Sunday night, they will host the Colorado Avalanche in game in round two. We have Russ Cohen from Sportsology. We're going to start our, 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 you know, our annual look ahead at the NHL draft, and who better to come and help us out with that than uh, the guru that is Russ Cohen. He's plugged into junior hockey all around the world, so he's going to come in and, and break down the first first couple uh, rounds for us, give us some sleepers the way he always does. He'll do a great job for us. And we're going to go around the league. Um, we haven't talked since the Lightning went home. The Flames went home. Um, we it's Some things that have never happened before are happening, so we're going to get into that as well. So stay tuned. We've got a great show. All right, hockey fans, thanks thanks for coming in and spending some of your Saturday time with us talking a little bit of hockey. Uh, we've got, we're going to kick off uh, going down the Vegas lane. Vegas is up 3-2. San Jose staved off elimination with a, a good effort in San Jose the other night. Uh, Chris was just uh, talking off the air. Martin Jones did have a very good game. And would, we haven't seen from him. Game one, game one, he played pretty good. Um, he needed to be very good the other night, and he was. Um, the defensive, and we were, you know, the the defensive part of the Sharks' game has really kind of been what we expected. Martin Jones chased in two games uh, so far in the series. The Carlson leads the league in playoff assists, but he's also been exposed in in the neutral zone, going backwards, getting caught on his heel. Brent Burns as well. Um, if they're going to survive this game six, their their team defense and their defensive defense is going to have to play much better. I look for the the Golden Knights to be home. I look for Gallant to have the matchups that he needs to free up the, the stone patch ready line again. And uh, for me, I think that, and I'm not going to put the jinx on anything. I, I like Vegas's chances in game six, if they can get, you know, get Martin Jones early, early and often put, keep the pressure on. I, I look for the Knights probably to play their best game of the series. And Mark Andre Fleury did something, in game five that he's never done before, which was lose a playoff game with his team has a chance to eliminate the opponent. And I don't think that repeats itself, but anyway, Chris, what are your thoughts on the first round Vegas golden Knights shark series? Yeah. A few things jump up for both teams. Obviously the, the stone Pancioretti staffing line as uh, game five withstanding has just been running wild. Uh, I'm not a fantasy guy, but I guess if you have any of those players or multiple, you're doing very well. I mean, it's just uh, ridiculous uh, how much they're the pace that they're scoring at, particularly uh, in, in the Vegas win. 
the the Vegas power play has been insane. I mean, 33%, not just 33%, they've gotten a lot of power play chances. So they have eight power play goals in five games, and I believe they've scored a power play goal in every game. You know, that is a great formula for Vegas. And it's yep. one for San Jose. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Shea Theodore has had a heck of a series himself. Kind of gotten a little lost in the shuffle. He's looking like that front line defenseman uh, when they first uh, made that deal to get him in the expansion draft. And then from a San Jose standpoint, um, I guess I guess I'll give the the negatives, the concerns for them. You mentioned it, the holes in the defense games. Two, three, and four. I mean, I I felt like I was watching a video game at times in terms of the chances that Vegas was getting. I mean, for playoff hockey, and with you know, this is an established team with the Sharks. And I know, ironically, the Sharks, you know, they did struggle defensively this year. I mean, they they were they kind of they flipped the script. I mean, in years past, they were a sound defensive team with with really good goaltending, but could they score enough? Now. You know, they're a top offensive team uh, with mostly the same roster. I mean, obviously there's, a, there's some changes, but, uh, you know, have struggled defensively at times. And boy, oh boy, I mean, the the, the dam was bursted in terms of that in games two, three, and four. I know the goaltending, if it was either Martin Jones or Arundel in those games, could have been better. But at the same token, uh, you know, it was just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, that was much better in game five from the San Jose perspective. But, you know, I'm not saying it was great. I mean, it went from when you're starting out at zero, in my opinion, in terms of where you were at. So for them to win game six, I think it has to be better than it was in game five. Uh, what I've seen, I've seen the Sharks come off the rails at times, particularly of Andrew Kane. If that happened uh, in game six, that's going to cost them dearly. Uh, so that would be a concern. I guess the thing if you one was a Sharks fan is the play of Martin Jones as you alluded to in game five for the first time in this series. I know he like you said he had a really he had a good game one, but game five he came up big in key situations. He looked like the Martin Jones from when they went to the Stanley Cup finals uh two, three uh, I guess three years ago now is it? Um and they're gonna need that. I mean they're gonna need that kind of level of performance if they're gonna force this to seven games. Obviously, Vegas has been a really good home team in their history, in their brief history, and um, you know I, I like them to get through Game Six. Uh, we'll get to the, the Flames Avalanche later on, but obviously uh, not uh, not uh, short sighting Colorado. But the fact that um, you know that they would go to a home ice situation if they can win, uh, get through this series is a very yeah. very good thing. So, you know, obviously they're in a really good position. Uh, I don't think it will be – I don't – I could be wrong, but I don't think it's going to be one of these 6-2, 5-2 games that we saw earlier in the season, the series, excuse me. But I think at the end of the come Sunday night, um, uh, you, I think Vegas is going to be moving on. Yeah, well, Thomas Thomas Hurdle, um, dad, fuel to He's the fire. Great. He um, – he also said after game five that he guarantees oh, they're of. coming back for game seven because the Sharks are a better team than the Golden Knights. And I don't know. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if he's watching these games or w- what he's watching. But since the Knights came into the league, 
they've pretty much owned the Sharks. Um, the, I don't know if he's just trying to fire up his team and his fan base. I, I can't think. I, it reminds me last year when Vegas was in the conference finals against Winnipeg and the Knights were up 3-1 to one and Hellbuck came out with some comments about how they're just a lucky team. We're a better team. Uh, the, the luck can't last that long for those guys, and, and we'll be moving on. I don't know if it's from the same place as frustration or or what, but I haven't seen anything at any level. Forwards, defensemen, defensive defensemen, um, goaltending, where where that's a reasonable statement to make that the Sharks are a better team than the Golden Knights. We talked we talked in our preview that the way for Vegas to win this series was to stay out of the penalty box, keep your discipline, and and the Sharks have gotten a lot of power play chances, but they yes, you know they've been the, okay on the power play. They haven't been great, but I, I, most of those I think were were converted in Game One. Since Game One, I don't think their power play percentage, uh, and they've got a number of chances, has been that great. No, the Knights penalty kill has been fantastic in this series, and as you said, we've seen the, the Sharks come off the rails a little bit, um, that's, and that's what happens to San Jose. I've seen it, you know, a long time, is, the, you know, when the whistle blows, they want to chuck you, they want to chip you, they want to check you after the whistle and get you into retaliatory frustration penalties, and if if you're the team against them and you play whistle to whistle and you skate away from them when they're chucking you after the whistle and and don't play into that game, they get even more frustrated because five on five we've seen Vegas is a much better team. Corsi uh, goals for goals against, however you want to break it down. Um, Vegas Vegas has dominated this team five on five in this series and on power play as well as you mentioned, Chris, but. When, when you don't play into that and they can't get their power play on the ice, which does give that team momentum, um, they get even more frustrated. And then they're the teams that are taking the penalties. They're the teams that get off, off kilter and, and off the rails, as you say, Chris. And that's what the Golden Knights have been able to do, especially in, in games four and five, is is to limit those uh, those types of penalties, um, you're, you're never going to play penalty free. There's going to be a slash or, or a hold or an interference here and there, but those types of penalties that we saw earlier in the series from golden Knights, um, they've done a pretty good job. I still think they can do better, but they've done a pretty good job playing whistle to whistle. And that's frustrating the sharks, um, quite a bit, as you can see, you, you don't really see fights in the playoffs too often, but we saw, you know, Kane and Reeves drop the gloves and go. We, we've seen lots of post whistle action from the sharks and the Knights have done a fairly good job at staying away from that and taking penalties in those situations here in games three, four and five. And they got Vlasic back, I believe in game five for the sharks So that, that he's a steady presence that helped the sharks. And, you know, what's interesting to me to kind of look at this from a 20,000 foot perspective from a sharks standpoint, big picture is, you know, unless they can really put together, Two, you know, two top games and get past the series. It's gonna be interesting to me, like uh, where the Sharks go from here if they lose in this first round. You know, obviously Eric Halson, they gave up. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't give up a killer uh, draft pick, uh, i.e., like Ottawa did, or 
uh, or uh, a kill prospect, but they gave up quite a number of them. And, you know, they've traded a lot of inventory these last couple of years. And they have, a you know, the core of that team is a bit older. They do have some young guys in there and guys in their prime. Uh, but obviously they're going to have to make a big decision on Eric Colson, which, you know, I don't think they've gotten what they thought they were going to get out of him for this year. So I don't know how that affects their, their judgment. But it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of move forward. Joe Pavalski's uh, an unrestricted free agent. I mean, i got to think he probably resigns with them. Been there for so long, and they both sides would work out a deal, I would think. But, um, uh, you know, he is an older player, so if someone's willing to offer him another year or two, what does that mean? Um, so, it, it, you know, Thornton to me, this is a well. very critical. Yeah, Thornton yeah. Well, he's Thornton may nearing, retire. nearing the end. Sure. Right, right. So, so this, you know, to me, I look at this as very much an out team, you know, for the – uh, for the here and now, and you know, it's, it's critical for them to go on a run. Um, to lose in the first round um, uh, would be, you know, that, that would be a big blow. Uh, and you know, where do they go from here? Uh, uh, it will be interesting to follow. But I guess the the thing, the task at hand is Vegas. Just says, you know, to me, it's been the much more steadier team, the much more disciplined team. And they got the and they got the better goalie, and the goalies played a lot better. Uh, so I mean, anything can happen. You know, it's only three-two. Having said all that, it's only three-two. And if the Sharks can, you know, win tomorrow night, then it's down to just one game, and and it's at home for them. Um, but like I said, uh, I do like Vegas's chances uh, to get this through the series. I know you had them in six, I believe. And lately, you, you've been like a soothsayer out there. But uh, I think I had the, the Vegas in seven. But I, I think it's going to get – I think it will be a, a one-goal game, maybe an empty netter. But I think Vegas is going to find a way in tomorrow night. You know, kind of a 3-2, a 4-2 win kind of thing. Yeah, I did say – sorry about that. I had the mic off. Okay. Um, yeah, I did say six. I, I, I said I thought they would have a chance to close out in five if uh, Martin Jones was not back to being Martin Jones of old, and it's hard to flip that switch and become um, something that you haven't been, and especially heading into the playoffs. I'm never a fan of the flip-the-switch mentality. And they did have that chance in Game 5. Kudos to Martin Jones. But I, I'm thinking I'm thinking six, and I think that Stastny Stone and Pacioretty are going to be tough you know, I thought they were good in the regular season, but when you see, I mean, Stone's intensity has been off the chart, and that drags Pacioretty with him, and that, that's, that's been my question mark with Pacioretty all year. Um, since the Stone trade, I, I have nothing negative to say about Pacioretty. He, he, they've changed him. Uh, he's probably improved his game more since the trade deadline than anybody on the Vegas Golden Knights. He's he's in first on the four check. He's moving his feet and skating. He's working to get him and his teammates open looks. Um, Stastny's game has is, is always been a, a playoff predicated game where he'll win your face-offs. He, he's such a smart player when, when he has the puck in the offensive zone that he can take you know, a couple strides away from where he was and just draw the defenseman over, you know, just one or two strides. 
And his passing is so good that that's enough where he can get that, that pass through a cross, cross crease uh, or high low. And the, the movement of just those, those few strides that he can take off, off the center axis um, creates the movement in the goaltender and the, and the defense and the forwards, you know, fall into him. And with stone, stone on the right and patch ready on the left, as long as they're working and moving their feet and they are, they're they're going to get their open looks and, and you know to have patches and and stone leading the playoffs with twenty points each or t- sorry ten points each um, reverse six points for assists four assists six points for patches um, and Sassy right there behind him ranting and passed him last night with not his ninth point of the playoffs. Um, when Gaunt has that line on home ice and he can put them out against the, who he wants to match them up against, um, it's it's going to be very tough for the Sharks. Yeah, it's been a problem. <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously, you know, and, and you know, I don't think it's a coincidence, right? In in games, uh, you know, they didn't score in game five. I can't remember. I don't. I don't know if they scored in game one, but if they did, they they contained them. Uh, so when they've been able to not have that line burn them, it's led to a Sharks victory. And uh, the other games when Vegas has won, the horse uh, has been out of the barn, to say the least. So, um, And based on how San Jose has played overall team defense this whole year, including for the majority of time in this series, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, I, if I was a Sharks fan, I, I, that would be a huge concern. Uh, of of going of going in, you know. So uh, we'll see. Like I said, I, I you know, um, hope it'll be. I think it'll be interesting hockey game. Obviously, these two teams do not like each other. Uh, no. Nope. So we'll it's we'll fun, have huh? to see. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of penalty minutes, a lot of power plays in this series. Um, uh, a lot of you know, a lot of uh, uh, nastiness, if you will. And uh, I will. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> It's it's been a good series, and just to, just to clean it up, Stone Stone scored both the Golden Knights goals in Game One. He's he's scored in every game but Game Five. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, right, so, they, yeah, that, that was still still a strong game. So, all right. Well, I think I see Russ on the line. I'm gonna go ahead and bring him in. Russ, are you there, buddy? Yep. How's it going? It's going great. We're going to talk with Russ Cohen about some NHL draft. You can follow him on Twitter at Sportsology. He has a SoundCloud page by the same name. Uh, so for some teams right now, what they're doing is looking forward to the NHL draft. The lottery went a little bit wonky. Um, mm-hmm. Kings fans and Colorado's fans crying about the rigged system that is the NHL lottery. Um, and I'm not going to go that far, but um, there are upset fans because of the top two prospects in this draft look to possibly uh, emerge into some franchise type players. Let's start off just looking at the top two with Hughes and Kako. If um, it's Kako, Kako, right? Kako, yeah. uh, let's, let me get your breakdown on those two guys. And if you were New Jersey, uh, Taylor Hall, the lottery ball, good luck charm once again, um, where would you go if you're New Jersey? I would go with uh, Jack Hughes. Um, Taylor Hall has done some training with him. Uh, it's one guy who could actually match his speed on the ice. So with those two together, the speed factor would be fantastic. You would have um, really a, a double threat because – 
Hughes can score. He can set up a play. He will be one of the best skaters in the league when when he's strong enough and it's all said and done. I think even when he enters, he'll be you know one of the better for sure. He is very smart. He uses his edges really well, like we've all seen. He really is one guy who figures things out. If you shut him down for, for parts of a game, he will uh, eventually figure it out and become a factor in scoring chances. But everything goes through him. Everything, plays go through him. All The puck is always on his stick. He is a guy that will have a lot of control on the game. Now, that may not happen day one in the NHL, but it will happen. It's happened at every level. So there's no question in my mind it will happen. So I don't see how the Devils pass up on that. If they pass up on that because they want the bigger guy, I think it's foolish. No, and I agree. And he's certainly at the at the World Junior Championships so far. He's he's come out balls of fire, ready to rock and roll. Oh, at the under-18s, um, not... you mean? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He's not um... – he hasn't missed a step from the regular season into this tournament. And if he doesn't get injured like he did last year, um, look out world because he, he's come out yeah. on fire. Now give us your breakdown on Kako and why he should go number two. Well, Kako is a guy who has a lot of speed. He also has good vision. He also can play a little bit with an edge because he's a little bit of a bigger guy. But he's also mainly a finesse player who is smart. He could take the puck end-to-end when he needs to. He's got a great shot. He's a better goal scorer than Jack Hughes. I mean, that's that's the uh, the advantage he has. He may be a guy that tries out center at some point. He's talked about wanting to do that, but hasn't done it lately and won't do it in the World Championships because he's a younger player playing against men there. So we'll see if that ever happens. If it does, that could be just another added dimension to him. But he brings a lot. And there's really nobody else that would really be as good as him. Now, if some team were to be desperate, if the Rangers were desperate and they found another player that they feel like fits them better, great. I I don't think that'll happen, though. Now, without McDavid, um, Jack Hughes is, is the best draft prospect since? Austin Matthews. Yeah, not too far in the back. Where, where, now, Kako, we've seen um, some comparisons with Patrick Laine as far as the shot. Mm, and, I don't see it. He, he's not the you goal scorer Laine is. Okay, okay. He, where would not. you? Who's the Who's the comparable with uh, Jack Hughes? I don't have a comparable. I never give him out. I don't. I don't think about him. I don't have him. I don't think there is one. I always think there's one Jack Hughes. The thing about, like, Line A and Kako, you know, Kako doesn't have that shot that Line A does. He's got an excellent shot, and he could one-time it, he could wrist it, he can get in close, but he doesn't have that Line A shot, so there's no way I would compare him to him. Hey, Russ, it's Chris here, and being out hey. in Long Island, I, I have to say, clearly, the, no pun intended, the devil was in charge of this lottery, but be that, ah. be that as, it, as it may, it may. How good is this draft? So how how good is the first round? If you're Montreal and you have the 15th pick, how are you feeling? How If you're Detroit and you have three picks in the second round, if you're Stevie Eisenman, how good are you feeling? Because you know, everyone forgets about you know rounds two and three yeah. uh, are very, very important to building an NHL franchise. So how good is this 
and they the, the 2019 draft. Well, I mean, if I'm if I'm the Canadians and I'm around 15, a guy like Cam York might still be around from the NCDP or Spencer Knight, even though they don't need a goalie, just to give you an example. So I, I think it's a it's a really good first round. It's just the first two are exceptional, and then like three through eight or nine or ten is that next level. And then, but you know, if you're talking about franchise really special players, you know, I think you're talking about the top two. But I think in any draft, you go back and look, and there's only a handful of those guys in every draft. But then if you're talking about future all stars you know, first and second line players, top or second pairing guys, then you definitely can go three, three through 10 and probably through 15. Then, you know, it's like any other draft. You're going to have to do your homework. You're going to have to find guys. It's going to be about developing. And so you're going to get guys that are really good, but they're deficient in some areas, and, and that, that's fine. I mean, that's that really is what the draft's about. So, you know, again, I don't think Montreal should worry. I think if you're Detroit, you're in a great situation because you know as an example like on sportsology.com i put up my top 15 excuse me and my top 12 actually i'll do the rest next week i wanted to see the under 18s first but i did 12 because there were some teams you know like flyers fans and such that that just wanted to get an idea of some of the players and cole caulfield i have ranked sixth i'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure he's not going sixth why because he's five seven one sixty five is he the best goal scorer in the draft? Yeah, he's the best goal scorer in the draft. But he'll still probably go somewhere like 8, 9, 12, something like that, because some teams won't want to take him because they'll just, you know, have a whole multitude of reasons. But would I take him if I were Montreal at 6? Yeah. Wouldn't even, wouldn't even think twice. He's He's got a crazy amount of goals already in the under-18s. Any, anything he's in... He reaches the the heights any tournament he's in, and he's not just a goal scorer. He really can set up players and make players better too. But he just that happens to be his best attribute, and he's a really good skater too. So, but again, he's five seven. So maybe you know they they go with Kirby Doc instead, or who's a really big centerman, six four, hundred ninety eight pounds. Definitely going to be an excellent player. Got great hands. Maybe they go for Victor Soderstrom. Swedish defenseman, 5'11", 178, skates great, excellent stick and puck control. You know, they'll have a choice of guys like that. And so they'll – Detroit will be fine. So, you know, everyone Russ is saying tier one of this draft clearly used in Kako. Right. Who is – what's the – who's the next tier? What group of players – it's three through what? Is it three to six? So what – who's the next group who's in the next tier before – it, it, it drops off again, or is it a whole bunch of players? Well, I mean, I, I, like I said, I want to see more of the under-18s, but just to say it for today, I have Alex Turcotte third. Right now I'm pretty cemented with that. He's healthy now. He's playing at the under-18s. He looks great. He's a centerman. That helps. Vasily Colson, Bowen Byram, Cole Caulfield, Kirby Dock, Victor Soderstrom, Dylan Cousins. Moritz Sater and maybe even Trevor Zegras get into that next um, group of players we're talking about. And that's a really good group. Now I got uh, I got one more for you before I hand you over to Mark and let him finish up. A couple okay. years, I don't think it was last year's draft. I think it was two years ago. We had you on preview of the draft, and I said to you, Russ, well, give me a player you love that no one's talking about. And you said Sam Gerard, who's actually mm-hmm. up with the Avalanche. He's hurt right now, but 
who's been who's turned looks like they got a heck of a future ahead of him. Who's your Sam Gerard for this year? Good question. I'm going to give you John Beecher, a guy from Elmira, New York, plays with the NTDP. That team is so stacked that a lot of times he um, he's playing a bottom six role, but he's fast, he's smart, he gives he's good with the give and go. He's going to Michigan. He's probably not going to go in the first round, but that's a guy who I uh, I'm pretty high on. And just so you you have names, Robert Mastromioni is from East Islip, so he'll be in there. Nick Abruzzi, Abruzzi rather, is also um, from Slate Hill. He'll be in there. Marshall Warren, another kid from Laurel Hollow, in there, and Danny Waite is the last of the Long Island guys that I know about. And he uh, is the son of Doug Waite. So you got to keep an eye on him, too. All right. I wanted to get in a question about the NTDP. And in the last, mm-hmm. let's say, five to seven years, that program has been pumping out players into the draft at, at previously unheard of levels for that program. What in that program has either changed or enabled the rise of the American-born player in that program to to improve on the, the quality of people they're putting into the draft? A couple of years ago, it would just be preseason when the NTDP would come in and they would play a college team. Now that's a regular thing on their schedule, and that's helped a lot because that, that helped me two years ago see how Jack Hughes was against older players like on faceoffs, and he was really good. That helped right. them gauge where they are for playing against much older stronger players, physical players, even players that, you know, are sometimes better at skating than they are. And and so I think that it took them out of the pool from the USHL, which is very good, and it added another dimension, and that now you're, you're facing NCAA talent, and so that's now you have increased the pool there. And I think by doing that, you have now made the program better where I'm not saying it was going to get stagnant just being USHL, but they had to do something to it. And then to me, that was a big deal. And now this year's team is the best team they've ever had. And you'll see a load of draft picks coming out of there. I mean, I already, in my, in my top 12, there's Hughes, there's Alex Turcott, Cole Caulfield, and Trevor Zegras. And there's a lot more. And I mentioned John Beecher, and the other guys were all uh, NTDP guys, I believe. Uh... Yeah, it looks – I don't think Wade is. I think he just played with them. But otherwise, yeah. And so, you know, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Having the uh, American-born players jump up as high as they have been in, in recent drafts. Um, and, and it's interesting that exposing them And now it's numbers. To... Before it used to be like, hey, there's these top guys and and, and there would be. And, and then it would drop off and, you know, at the end of the draft – Dave Fisher would say, hey, there were, you know, 25 guys drafted. You know, now you have like 15, 17 guys from one team. Yeah, so for sure. The numbers, the sheer numbers are, are getting much greater. And the exposure well, guys, to – go ahead, Was Chris. it just like two years ago? Was it the 20 – I think it was the McAvoy draft where, what are the U.S. Uh, 13 Americans in the first round, something like that? Yeah, yeah, that sounds Five about in the right. top 12, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and I will also tell you what's aided that, too. What has aided that, too, are a lot of 
professional hockey players growing, having their kids grow up here because they played here. Their kids become American citizens. The kids play right. hockey here. They become great players. They take after their their parents, and all of a sudden they're Americans. That doesn't hurt. And and be, you know those kids, um, they they're around the game, you know since Hector was a pup. So the, the, the hockey yeah. IQ that those kids bring onto the ice is, is like second nature to them when, when they've been around NHL caliber players yeah. for their whole life and have been groomed into the game. Whereas in the past, sometimes the American born players, the hockey IQ aspect was something that maybe they had to learn once they got into juniors or even, even when they get as late as the, the college hockey level, um, so that would put them a step behind the Canadian players and, and the high-end European players as, as far as having that hockey sense. And now as the development of the game comes through, um, we're, we're seeing those players with that innate hockey hockey sense that we've only seen from those other countries in the past. No, I agree, Mark. And I think it's just a matter of time until we start seeing the U.S. Um, winning gold medals with, with whatever teams they're throwing out there, whether it's the NHLers again, which it probably will be uh, going forward. And I think that's going to start to happen too, like it like it did during the Madonna-Leach era for a short time. I think now they're, they're poised to, to do that. So just a matter of time, you're going to have a pretty tremendous group of guys to choose from. Obviously, Austin Matthews will be on that team. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think that I mean, and you and you mentioned the Olympics, and I think that's a hugely important thing for the NHL to figure out going forward. Um, for me, that was my first exposure to hockey, uh, living in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, as I did in 1980. And my family was always a big Olympic family, and Grandma would have it on the TV during the Summer mm-hmm. Olympics when we were visiting Grandma, and you know. To to miss having a competitive Team USA jersey in the Olympics is missing a four-year window of these kids' exposure to hockey, and I I really hope that the NHL can figure that out because, for me, after that, I thought, hey, L.A. has a team. I could be a Kings fan, and that's the roots of my hockey, uh, being 10 years old and exposed to that. So that's something, too, that, you know, the NHL needs to figure out because that's going to – you know, a whole four-year window of a kid's development in hockey, if he can see that and fall in love with a game and get his skates on. Um, it, I mean, it's just great. And get great. past the cost. Well, I mean, let's not hide that either. The cost is high. Yes. There's a lot of traveling. The equipment's expensive. There's a lot of obstacles to overcome. For sure, especially in the, in the southern half of the United States, the travel can get very exorbitant going, you know, to And it's to not just here either, Mark. I the um sorry to interrupt the the guy who no, um, plays the the current Chewbacca in um Star Wars I forget his name but I was speaking to him at a convention and he said he didn't play hockey because it was too expensive for him in Finland really and I was a little wow. taken aback by that but yeah he explained he said yeah you know it was too much for skates and everything else so he got into basketball because obviously he has height and and now he's He's Chewbacca, so he's doing okay. But he would have played hockey had it not cost so much. Not Peter Mayhew, right? We're talking about the No, no, no. It's like Espoo something. I forget his name. Jonas Suatomo? He's the current Chewbacca. Okay, yeah. Eunice? Yeah, Eunice. That's it. Sorry, yeah. 
units. Okay, I want to give him credit since we brought him up. Um, no, that, that and, and you know, just the rise of of the youth hockey, Finland, Sweden, the globalization of the game is as you know, you got to do get get past the cost and figure out a way to get these kids programs funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that I mean, that's a that's a big point right there. But as far as the rise of of the American player, I really like what what we're seeing the last few years. And like you said, if we can get a competitive uh, ice hockey team into the 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 world stage once again, uh, that's just going to bode even better for them. Let's wrap up. I think up next with Olympics the, uh, will be really competitive. Like they could win for sure. Uh, that's that's good to hear, and and I hope they do figure it out. So we haven't touched on the goaltenders here in the draft, and and Spencer Knight. You know, teams have different philosophies on drafting goalies in the first rounds. Um, let me get your philosophy on it, and maybe the first two or three goalies that we might see taken in the draft. Yeah, Spencer Knight is is a cut above. He's been playing above age group for a while. He's going to go to BU, I believe. No, BC. He's going to go to BC, and that's a reason like uh, that Wall signed with the Leafs because he he saw the right writing on the wall. When you're that good, yeah, take him in the first round. If you need a franchise goalie, just take him. Uh, you know, I think I think teams starting from 15 on could start looking at that and and doing that. You know, the same way Dallas did a couple years ago. Uh, I like Mad Sogard a lot. He's a really big guy. I think he's six seven. But I haven't studied a lot of the other goalies yet. I, you know, I have notes on them. I haven't put it all together. It doesn't seem to be like a breakout goalie draft. Like last goalie draft was okay. Uh, this one seems to be okay with a couple of standouts, two or three standouts, and and that's. I don't think it's going to be a massive goalie draft though. Not a lot of Ilya Sorkins, huh? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is. With those kinds of guys, um, you don't know what they're going to do over here. They look great over right. there. And, and Chess Yorkin, same thing. I, I've seen them both face off against each other in the uh, World Juniors, and they looked really good. But, again, you just don't know. And so I can't, I can't say these guys are going to be great yet. I know everybody writes that, uh, but – I'm not ready to do it because I need to see what happens when they come to North America. The angles change. Uh, Jake Ottinger was the guy who I didn't mention by name for Dallas. I I should do that. Um, But it just wasn't coming to me quick enough. But the idea is with these guys, it's like, yeah, they're the best in that league. I've watched that league. They don't play tough defense. They do have a lot of scoring chances, and so you do have to make a lot of saves. But, yeah, you got to wait and see, see what the communication is, see how they play over here. You know, just as like Sam Sonoff right now started off half the season was, was poor for him in the AHL, and then he finished strong. We still don't know when he'll be in the NHL, though, and he was as good as they get over there. So I always tell people they got to pump the brakes a little on that. All right, one more thing real quick for the Vegas Golden Knights fans. They did just get Nikita Gusev over from the KHL. What are your notes yeah. on, on Nikita Gusev and as a, you know, putting him in the third line left wing slot, which is where he figures to play? Um, what does that mean for the Golden Knights? Well, he's a good, fast player, great shot. I think he, um, he'll look for the puck. If there's anybody that can get him the puck, you'll add a few more quality shots on net. I think he'll blend right in because I think on the smaller ice he'll be better. So that's good. He's not afraid to, to, you know, at least use his body. I haven't seen him in a lot of years, though. So it'll be fun to actually see him 
is he actually going to play next game? Because I know last game they were thinking he was going to play, and he didn't, but he was practicing with the team. That He is practicing with the team. They want to see him in the next, you know, um, today's today's practice is important. But I, give, given Gerard Gallant and, and what he likes to do with his roster when he's, when he's ahead in a series is he likes to keep it the same. We may not see him until the second round against Colorado if, right. in fact, they make it that far. So it'll be well, interesting which is fine to watch. If that's what happens, um, not the worst thing because then he's practiced with the team more, has an idea of what the power play is like, maybe he gets some second power play time. He did put in an awful lot of points in the KHL, so it's worth the risk. All right, Russ. Well, thank you, sir. You guys can follow Russ at Sportsology on Twitter and Sportsology.com when when you're interested in your your team's draft. He puts out his mock draft. Um, like you said, you had already posted your top twelve, and the rest of the first round. Just top twelve, and it's soon. just it's for rankings. I don't do the mock part of it. I leave that up to everybody else. I, I don't do that anymore. Okay. Okay. Well, check it out. I just like the guys, got... and I say, hey, this is who I like, but. Trying to figure out what team's going to go with what guy. I don't really do that now. I do write for Elite Prospects, so you know, as a writer, sure, I'll I'll pontificate on some stuff like that. But yeah, I don't. The list is just straight rankings. Like this is where I think these guys will end up when it's all said and done when we talk about this draft. And I mean, like five years from now, not like how they get drafted. Okay, well that's that's good stuff as always, Russ. Thank you again for coming in, and we'll talk to you the closer we get to the draft again, sir. Great, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, thanks, Russ. All right, Russ Cohen, of the owner oh, of Sports All. He's the best. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I anything... just listening to him. You know what's so great about Russ? He's yes, he's beyond super knowledgeable and all that that comes out, but especially from our perspective. He knows these things so well. He knows the players so well. He knows the team so well. He knows the history of different leagues so well. And he's able to get, answer your question, both for, for the listeners, for us, and, you know, the listeners listening to the show or wherever you find Russ. He does a Sirius XM show every uh, Friday he's on. Um, go to go to Russ's Twitter page at Sportsology, and you'll find out he, he's all over the place. But he's able to answer these questions to give you such an in-depth and off the cuff and, right. and what's great for us is we'll have him on for 15-20 minutes and he'll we can hit 10 areas and of topics and you get just like so much uh, information from him in, in 20 minutes it's just it's incredible to me a lot of times you know people on you know not just our show but wherever NHL Network and and uh, they're very knowledgeable and whatnot, but um, they'll only hit two or three points of kind of thing. Like, oh, that's interesting. Russ is just amazing in that regard. And, and circle the name Cole Caulfield. Uh, he's that diminutive guy, 5'7", 160, but he seems to be an electric guy. So that's, to me, the name to watch out for between now and the draft. He's a guy that could go anywhere probably – in the top five to the middle of the first round, and he seems to be the riser. And obviously the size is a question. Sure. Obviously the game is played differently now, but um, that's a great name to watch out for. And we'll do have our usual mock draft show, with, and we're having back the boys from last year, Mark Scheich, who I think has participated in every one of our draft sh- yeah. uh, mock draft shows, and Dan Harrigan. So uh, that'll be the week before the draft. Um, so why don't we hit these uh, these series, and um, we'll do it kind of our thoughts 
a quick thought from both of us. You want to start with the uh, series that are complete first? Does that make sense? Yeah, and if anybody wants to call in and talk about their teams, they can get us at 657-383-0864 if you want to talk about some of the other some of the other series that are going on right now. Let's just start with your aisles, Chris. Um, you had I'll them picked the three. seven games, yeah, I, and and uh, that you thought that might have been your Homer glasses talking, but no, definitely not a sweep. And, and oh God, no! Really, really, they earned that sweep. Pittsburgh was not up to the task in this series. The Isles shut down their skill players, um, and and dominated the series really. And and even people who thought the Isles would win thought it would be a long, tough series, <coughs> and might squeak it out in a game seven because they did get home ice. But but Chris, you have your three keys to that series, and you said it during during the the playoff preview show that we did, and reiterate them now and how important they were for the Islanders to get past the Penguins. Well, I thought going in was could the Islanders score enough? I mentioned during the regular season when the Islanders scored enough, it almost always resulted in a win. When the Islanders scored three goals or more in the regular season, they were thirty-eight two and two. Now. Most people, some of might say, well, wait a minute. When someone, when a team scores three goals or more, they usually have a really good record. Yeah, they usually have a really good or better than really good record. 38-2-2 is a ridiculous record, okay? Yep. So in these, four, in these four games, the Islanders scored at least three goals in all, four, in all four games. Second point was the Islanders needed to limit as much as possible the power play opportunities that Pittsburgh got and then not have that power play kill them. Try to contain it, if you will. Pittsburgh had 11 opportunities in four games. Okay. Okay. I would say that's not bad. I mean, that's not terribly high. Reasonable. Ideally, reasonable. That's a good word. Yeah. Pittsburgh went uh, – the, the Islanders killed 10 of those 11 power plays. So Pittsburgh had one – went one for 11. And then the final thing was uh, the Islanders were very resilient. Uh, game one – they had three times they had the lead and, and gave it up, including with a minute ago when the goalie pulled, Pittsburgh tied it. Uh, I, we talked about some of these other teams last week. We'll talk about it again um, moving forward in this show. They were able to just say, okay, guys, let's get the next goal. Uh, and then in games two, three, and four, at critical times, Pittsburgh got the first goal, and the Islanders responded with a goal within a minute or two and sometimes even less than that. So they responded – uh, each and every way, and they were very resilient in this series, both at home and on the road. So that's why they're moving on. It was, it wasn't, you know, all all those four games, we could have easily went either way. But there's just been something about this team all year, and it it, it continued in the playoffs, and even more so. So um, they're waiting for the the Washington Carolina winner. Uh, let me get your thoughts on what you saw out of Tampa and Columbus. And um, for me, uh, it, it felt like I was from games two, through two, three, and four. I felt like I was watching the same movie over and over again. Yeah. I saw a team that had everything to play for all the way through the regular season. And let's face it, even though the lightning were attempting to tie or set the wins record for a season, the president's trophy was wrapped up weeks ago. They had given up, I think it's four goals in nine of their last 12 games they played in the regular season. Now they were scoring five goals, six goals. 
So they were still wins and they were still tracking. But there were some things they needed to work on coming down the stretch to stay sharp and get into playoff hockey mode that, you know, it, I, I I wasn't paying attention, so I can't say I did. I'm not, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, But, and I saw a team in Columbus that had to scratch and fight their way. We were wondering if they were even going to make the playoffs as recent as, as 10 days, 12 days left in the regular season and didn't clinch until, I believe, the second to last day of the season. So right. that's a team that that had been in fight mode for, you know, since the trade deadline. Let's be honest. When they when they blew everything up at the trade deadline and, and Kekalainen said, we're going for it right now, um, myself included, the hockey world stood on their head and said, you've, you've given away everything. And I, and I still believe that. But I also said in our playoff preview, if they somehow beat Tampa Bay, then he's off the hook and he's general manager of the year. Because Tampa Bay is that, you know, and – for for a team to come into the playoffs in the grind against a team like Tampa, who'd basically sewn up everything, you know, a month before the end of the season, um, I I said I said that before. I I don't like the flip the switch mentality, um, and I don't think Tampa Bay was ever really fully able to flip the switch that we saw that team capable of doing in the first three months of the season when they ran away from everybody. Um, and and I don't think for Columbus, I think the switch was on. I think they came into there and they were in the in win now mode. And I don't think that Tampa was ever able to quite get to that level. Um, this is the biggest playoff upset I think since the Miracle on oh. Manchester in in 1982. Um, they finished Tampa Bay finished 30 points in front of Columbus. Obviously the one eight seed um, in the you know in 1982 for the new hockey fans from Vegas or, you know, younger people that may not remember this series. Um, the Oilers finished 58 points in front of the Kings and the Kings went into Edmonton. Um, the, you know, the Gretzky led Oilers, the, the Islanders were still winning their four in a row at that point, but the Edmonton was coming, believe me. And the, they won game one, 10 to eight. And they were down five goals in the third period in game three when they came back to L.A. And five unanswered goals. And and Daryl Evans won it in overtime. And then uh, the Kings won game five. In my mind, this is the biggest upset since that. Um, We've seen President's Trophy winners lose in the first round. Uh, Recently, the Capitals have done it. The San Jose Sharks have done it. But it's just the mismatch and we've had Bobrovsky who we said, you know, had never allowed less than three goals in a, in a playoff game, had never won a playoff series. He he stepped up. He he threw down the shutout, um, the big shutout, um, I believe game three. And that was, that was the bugaboo. They went up two nothing on the road last year against Washington, lost four straight. Were we going to get back to Columbus in Game Three and and continue the the momentum that they had built in Games One and Two? And and Bobrovsky served his medal and served it well. And there's some questions to be had in Tampa Bay. Oh, that's for sure. I mean, we did a whole podcast on on that. Uh, and then getting to Calgary and and Colorado, which I got to give you kudos. You saw this coming. I saw a long series, but Calgary, uh, you know, finding a way to win it with home ice. And Calgary, you know, after game one, just could not handle 
the Avalanche's speed. Uh, McKinnon was beyond dominant in this series. Um, the Flames' offense was, huh. I don't want to say non-existent, but quiet. Uh, Cal, Cal McCarr, God, how good is he going to be? And, um, you know, the Flames are going home, and quite honestly, I didn't get to see this game last night, but, you know, with your season on the line, on home ice, you know, lose 5-1, I couldn't even imagine what it was like in the building in the third period. Um, you know, first time ever in the history of the NHL, two number one seeds out in the first round. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions about Calgary, how they move forward. They obviously had a tremendous regular season. They were second in the league in, in points and 107. That's a that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, a stinger. Where Calgary goes for, goes from here. I'm not – I mean, look, Colorado's a good team. They're up and coming. Maybe they're they're coming quicker than we – than we realize, um, um, but uh, I, I, I was I was surprised. It, it, it kind of like Tampa, Calgary just they couldn't adjust, they couldn't elevate their game. Like the snowball, no pun intended, this uh, for Colorado, the Avalanche, the snowball just started to happen ah, between <laughs> between the Blue Jackets and the Avalanche. And it, in both cases, for my mind, money, Tampa and Calgary had no answers. They they no. Had, they couldn't adjust. And they couldn't elevate their games, and for different reasons. And uh, they're both they're both home now. Yeah, last night Tyson Berry three assists, McKinnon three assists, ran in two goals and an assist. Colin Wilson with his first two of the playoff to really put the game out of reach. That made it four one late in the second, and then Rantanen um, early in the third with his fifth of the playoffs. How about Rantanen? Guy's gonna go from making eight hundred and fifty thousand a year to probably nine, not eight and a half, nine yeah. million a year at the end of his entry level deal. How'd, how'd you like to find that raise in your paycheck, huh? That's yeah, uh, that's a nice one. They got that line. I wouldn't mind the eight fifty, by the way. Well, sure. Well, I'll take the eight fifty, sir. <laughs> There's no question about that. But you know, they keep that line together. Uh, Landeskog ran in. And McKinnon, boy, oh boy, if they can get some depth forward out of this, uh, the pick that they get up here, get some some depth scoring in the draft this year. Um, this is a young team with a lot of speed, a lot of fight. When we come time to pick this series, if the Golden Knights can advance and host Colorado, I'll tell you what. When I was when I picked Colorado over Calgary, there's a game down the stretch against the Golden Knights that Colorado beat the Golden Knights pretty handily. And I I was worried about that team um, in the playoffs. Um, they were up – I'm pulling it up right now. They were up 3 nothing. Uh The Knights got a couple get close, but they, they pulled away 4-2, and then – and Tucky got one late for his 20th of the year, by the way, to, to – beat the Knights 4-3. But for a large portion of that game, um, Colorado really physically handled them, and their speed was up to snuff with the Golden Knights. And let's give Grubauer uh, a tip of the hat. Every time that they need – see, here's the difference. You you were saying before we got on the air that, that Mike Smith played good that we're not going to put this on Mike Smith. And you know, I'm not a Mike Smith fan. Right. Every, every, every time they needed Mike Smith to be great. He didn't answer. He, he couldn't make that safe. 
every time Grubauer needed to be great and make that save that kept Colorado with a one-goal lead or tied, a momentum-killing power play save, Grubauer was great. And with Varlamov being a free agent at the end of the year, I think we found the, the Colorado's goalie of the future, and they need to get Grubauer under contract for a, a lot longer than he is because he's he's announced himself. He's he's going to be their goaltender for a long time. And if the Golden Knights advance, that Colorado series is going to be a heck of a hockey match. Point each on the two remaining East series for you. Canes and Washington, uh, we were talking before about being able to adjust being able to answer back resiliency. And, I, I mean, what Carolina did uh, in games three and four at home, kudos to them for this young team. Yeah. I would I would say that they're an extremely – I mean, they are a live dog, if you will. But the thing that concerns me the most, uh, I don't know what the latest update is, but obviously they didn't have Stavetsnikov at Furlan in, in game four, and then they lost Martinuk in the first period of game four. That's a lot. I know Oshie's out for – for a while for all, Washington. That's a lot of forwards. All three of them are out today. Yeah, so that's – that's. they had a kid, uh, uh, I think a Brown, who played less than five minutes, filling in for one of, for one of the spots going into into game four, and now they're going to have to put in another another kid. So that's – got to figure that might be the difference there. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of the Leafs in Boston, you know Ooh. what? Boston's played a little. Huh? They've been a little under from where I thought they would play, and Toronto's been a little over. Uh, Boston has has really hurt um, going into last night's critical game five. Really hurt Toronto on the power play, operating at a forty five percent clip with five power play goals going to last night, and Toronto did what they had to do with their PK. Uh, I will say this: better win game six. Uh, Boston, and Boston has, you know, they've lost the odd numbers in this series, one, three, and five. After losses in games one and three, they did respond with a big effort. And obviously, with everything on the line, they're going to need to do that in game in game uh, six. So that's those are my two points on those two series. No, I, I agree with everything you said. If if uh, kudos to the Canes, Storm Surge. Um, Losing Sveshnikov and Furlan is, is tough. Um, one one more thing on on uh, the Flames, real quick before I, we move on. Um, Kale McCarr signed, I think, after Game One and outscored Johnny Goudreau. So if if if, if, if that's going to happen, then then uh, the, it's not going to end well for you, and it didn't end for Calgary. It, it didn't end well for Calgary. But um, yeah, if Toronto Toronto needs to. I, I couldn't agree with you more that that they better win Game Six because then, you know, you're on you're back in the Garden. The last the the ghosts of playoffs past are going to start creeping in. You you don't want to let this team off the hook because Boston's so dangerous that if you if you if they can get Toronto in Toronto, I mean, if they can get them in Toronto and finish the series. Um, that's, that's, you know, lots of people had either Tampa or Boston win it representing the East in the Stanley cup. We got a real good chance to lose the first two seeds in both conferences by the time everything's said and done and Boston being a favorite from the East and a lot of people's brackets 
And then if we go back over to the West, the number one seed's gone. You said this never happened before. Well, what happens if the Knights move on past the Sharks? Now the number two seed's gone. Um, Nashville's locked up in a battle with Dallas. Dallas is giving Nashville everything they want. They've been able to, for the most part, um, keep the games close and competitive. And you you said that you thought Zuccarello was going to be a big piece in this series, and boy, has he been. Um, yep. So if if that if that comes to to fruition, now we're talking the top three seeds in the West being out with St. Louis up 3-2 in a closeout game against Winnipeg. Now the fourth seed is on the hook in in the West, and we're going to have five through eight in the in the second round. The the, the West yeah. is, is borderline insane right now. Yeah, it's funny. I was watching that Winnipeg going into the third period game, Winnipeg-St. Louis game, critical game five, and here's Winnipeg looking like in an excellent position up 2 nothing. And I said, you know Absolutely. what, I've got to give it to this this young Jets team, they lose the first two games at home. They go, they they they, they take care of business uh, on the road. They win a, a game four in overtime. They come back. They do what they have to do. Put themselves in position. I go there. You know, I was thinking of Tampa at the time. Uh, them not being able to elevate, and Winnipeg being able to elevate, and then lo and behold, uh, boom, power play goal. I'm like, okay, you know, and then and then that you know that reviewed goal if you will, um, uh, which was the goal. Uh, and then scoring with 15 seconds left. What a devastating loss for Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, they're not out of the series yet. Obviously, the road team has won every game so far in this series, which is bonkers. Uh, right. And, you know, game game six tonight, um, it, you know, you talk about teams with high expectations and disappointments. Calgary and Tampa already by the wayside. I would put Winnipeg in that in that category uh, as well. And by the way, the Nashville power play or lack of it is killing them. It killed, it hurt them in the regular season. No power play goals in this series uh, against Dallas. And even if they can somehow get passed by Dallas and that inefficiency is going to continue, it's hard to see them, you know, getting representing the West uh, for the Stanley Cup. I mean, they would they would face the winner of St. Louis, Winnipeg, and yep. That's, you know, Nashville would have home ice in that, but um, inconsistency. St. Louis seems to play yeah. better on the road. If you go look sure. in the regular season, they're much long. better on the road all year long. Uh, yeah. than at home. It's not going to hurt their um, feelings at all. Yeah, no, and then, uh, and then uh, so why don't we jump to the, the overtime segment here. We've got three big names that's back in the league, if you will, uh, one of which is near, well, not near and dear to you, but your team. And that's Elaine Vigneault to the Flyers, uh, Tom McClellan to the Kings, and Stevie Eisenman, uh to the Red Wings. In terms, for my money, in terms of Vigneault, I saw him here, coached the Rangers. He's been around, obviously, took the Canucks to the Stanley Cup Finals, took the Rangers to the Stanley Cup Finals. I guess the, the only negative about him is uh, a lot of people say he's great with established or veteran players. The younger players, not as much. There's some younger players on the Flyers, so that's just something to keep keep an eye out for. Uh, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. Tom McClellan, for yeah. me, I mean, I think he's a good coach. 
I thought it was a little strange because from this standpoint, the Kings are kind of in, not kind of, to me they're in transition these next couple of years. They're going to try to yeah, be competitive, no but, they're re- but, but they're rebuilding. And they're also going to try to see where along the line they can move some of these veterans to build the next, gen- the next team of the Kings. And, you know, is Tom McClellan that coach to do no. that? That's my question. I thought maybe a younger coach. And then finally, Stevie Eiserman to Detroit. I mean, obviously for all, for a lot of reasons, tangibles and intangibles, and the talent of Stevie Y as a general manager, it makes sense. It's, it was just like another hit for the Tampa Bay Lightning base. Not that, you know, he did a great job down there, but like, oh, now he's back and he went back to Detroit. But it's a good. they got a lot of work to do, but they're in good hands with, with Eiserman uh, uh, being the, uh, uh, the final decision maker over there. No question about it. Uh, you you could say that Steve Eiserman, with the talent he was able to assemble via free agency trades and draft, and the way that he got them all into a cap manageable situation, even to the point where they were able to be in on the Eric Carlson sweepstakes and have the the wiggle room if you move the right pieces over to bring Carlson in to sign Eric Carlson to that you know eight year nine eleven million dollar deal that he that he look like he might sign. Um, I, I think you could say Steve Eiserman is one of the best, if not the best, general managers in the National Hockey League at A, talent evaluation, and B, cap manipulation. And those are two things that Detroit needs right now. So um, I'm a big Stevie Y fan. You, you, you don't do what he did um, building that roster. Go ahead. What's going to be interesting to me, and I've said this about them for a while, and they have kind of haven't done anything yet, is I look at the Red Wings, and they have a number of really talented young forwards, both like when you look at their prime assets in the organization, both in their prospect pipeline and on the NHL level, they're all forwards for the most part. So it's going to be interesting to me, like, I mean, I would have a couple of friends who are Red Wing fans. I said, well, you might want to think about trading this boy. You can't trade that guy. And, and my point is, you know, they're going to need, they got to build up a defense and they got to build what's the future in net. They kind of have stop gaps at both spots. So it will be interesting to me to see if Stevie Y, between those prime assets that he has, almost all of them being forwards, if he starts putting, putting a couple of uh, deals together, uh, between now and the draft uh, in, in terms of changing this team a little bit and, and getting some of the pieces, young pieces that he needs, both in on defense and in goal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the reason that the Knights have um, Mark Stone today is because they they felt they had that depth defensively in their system yep. with with guys that could become NHL ready, and maybe they didn't have quite the high-end talent that um, Eric Brandstrom is, is projected to be. But remember, that's a prospect, and projections are um, – you can draw a toilet on paper, but you can't use it, and you know what I mean? Um, so well, I think he felt he had – Well, I think Detroit's top five prospects, I think, are all – forwards uh right so you know, if they so. have that depth and the stevie y will be, uh, we've seen he's more than willing to make deals and don't, don't be surprised if at the at the draft table some of those prospects move out and some defensive uh help is on the way um i have all the faith in the world in stevie y um so you don't I like real quick you don't you don't you don't love mcclellan and how do you 
give us a thought on the McClellan hire from a Kings perspective, and what do you think about Vigneault to the Flyers? I, I love Elaine Vigneault as a coach. I liked him with Vancouver. I liked um, with New York. Uh, if the bugaboo is how is he going to work with younger players, we're going to find that out. Uh, because I think Philly, as far as an NHL roster is concerned, has some of the best young talent in the league. Um, Disappointed in them this year. They didn't get off to a good start. They did have a good run late, but it wasn't enough to make the playoffs. Um, I think Elaine Vigneault can take that team to the next level. Um, I I think it's a good hire. I'm wondering where Lindy Ruff is right now. Um, surprised that he hasn't been getting more run. It's a great coach that hasn't, you know, found a home yet. Um, I, I don't like the Todd McClellan fit in Los Angeles. Um, he, he had, you know, he had a veteran roster with San Jose and never got them over the hump. He had a young roster with pieces coming and going and, and the chance to mold and shape a team around, you know, the best player in the game. And, you know, we, we saw how well that worked out. He's, just, he's looking for a job. So with the Kings, you kind of have a combination of a veteran squad that McClellan's shown hasn't been able to get over the hump and a young team who they're trying to build and shape like they were in Edmonton that he wasn't able to do that either. So I don't know what makes McClellan the right, right guy for the Kings when he hasn't been able to build and shape a young uh, roster, and he hasn't been able to get over the hunt with a veteran talented roster. So when you have a combination of the two, I don't know what, what it is that McClellan did in the interview to impress Mr. Blake enough to bring McClellan well, in as the next head coach. They have that background together, right? Rob Blake, when he was in he, he played for San Jose. Sure. Yep. So, uh, win with. But yeah, I'm, and the Kings are kind of a tricky standpoint because, like I said, you have these a combination of they're going to have these older players who also won cups and these younger players so that they're trying to build uh, a future. And it's going to be kind of a tricky way to navigate for both the coach and the general manager. And it will be interesting to see if if that process of transitioning starts this off season. You know, I, I don't know. The only guy that jumps out to me would be possibly like Jonathan Quick. You know, I mean, Campbell had a really good year. So if there's an interest there, I know Quick didn't theoretically have the greatest of years, but uh, not to jump ahead, but if Bobrovsky, for instance, were to leave Columbus and go to Florida, there might be, like, there might be a spot where it would be a good spot for Columbus, although Lord knows what draft picks of prospects they have left after this past trade headline. I don't know. But, but my point But my point being is, you know, it be interesting to see how that all, all those moving parts of navigating you know, I think one half of the team is going to be very young, and one half of the team's I don't want to say very old, but older. And, Experience. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, 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 don't I like, thought, like I said, I think, I thought McClellan might, might have won up in Buffalo, but who um, still doesn't have a coach. But um, uh, I was, a little, I thought they might go young there, but we'll see. I wouldn't mind Lindy Ruff going back to Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard much about Buffalo. I, I haven't heard much about Buffalo where they're at in terms of the coaching search. Maybe they have an eye on a hot assistant on one of the playoff teams, and right. um, you know, they're you know, I, I don't know. I haven't. I, I, I that mean, makes sense. I haven't heard anything. But you know, some of these, you know, Vigneault, McClendon, um, um, Hitchcock, uh, not uh, Hitchcock, um, 
Quinville. Oh, God. Uh, thank you. Uh, Joe, Joe Q, uh, they're, they're, they're back in, into the league. So, um, yeah, so it'll be, uh, be interesting to see. So next, next week we're going to have Rob Soria back on the show. Give us, you have a 15 minutes, even though the playoffs are going on the state of the Edmonton Oilers, because they have a huge off season coming up and it'll be interesting to see how they navigate. And is Connor McDavid really unhappy there? He ain't going anywhere, but is he really unhappy there? So we'll get all that, Low down from them and uh, for him and um, and obviously we'll know what happened uh, if the, we'll talk goal tonight either as re- wrapping up the season and looking ahead or talking about round two. Yep, it looks like it's going to be a good week next week. Uh, you guys follow Chris on Twitter at the NL King or Ion Isles FS for all of his Islanders content as well. It's always good stuff over there. Um, And we'll be back next week. So for this week, Chris on Mark, we're gone.